Last Thursday, a lone gunman killed eight people and injured several others in a mass shooting at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. Over the past year, leading up to this tragedy, multiple concerns were raised regarding the shooter's mental health. These concerns were so significant that at one point in March of 2020, the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department seized a shotgun from the shooter's possession. Despite this, nearly a year later, a loophole in Indiana's Jake Laird Law, also known as the Red Flag Law, allowed the guns used in the FedEx shooting to come into the shooter's possession. To further understand the Jake Laird Law and how this loophole was exploited, WFHB met virtually with Indiana University professor and former mayor of Fort Wayne, Indiana, Bill Helmke. Bill has used his expertise in gun legislation and public policy in positions as the former president and CEO of the Brady Center and the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. Helmke elaborated on how exactly the Jake Laird Law works in the context of the FedEx tragedy. In Indiana, uh, actually, it was one of the leaders in the country uh, in terms of, uh, uh, of trying to take weapons away from dangerous people. Uh, back in 2004, there was an incident where um, an individual uh, killed a family member, uh, killed a police officer, shot and wounded four other police officers, and then was killed by the police. After the shootout, it was determined that the weapons he'd used to kill the other police officer had actually been seized by the police earlier and had been returned to him. And uh, when uh, our legislators and law enforcement folks realized that there was no law on the books that would have allowed law, uh, the police to keep those weapons, uh, they passed this Jay Claire law. Basically, it was a copy of what Connecticut had done six years earlier. Um, and it's really a gun removal uh, statute more than just a red flag law. Uh, it gives uh, uh, Indiana law enforcement the power to ask a judge uh, to take away someone's weapon. Um, actually, they can take it away without a warrant and then get approval from the court, or they can get the approval from the court first. But if an individual who has been identified as dangerous uh, has a weapon, uh, this gives the police the power to take that weapon away. Then there's supposed to be a hearing uh, 14 days later to determine whether that's permanent or not. So that's a good law to have on the books, uh, but it doesn't go far enough. A number of other states have taken steps since 2005 when Indiana passed this to come up with stronger laws. One of the crucial things is that other states focus on the individual, not on the gun. Uh, for some reason, Indiana just decided to focus on the gun. Uh, this only applies to individuals that have guns uh, who have been um, uh, identified as dangerous. So once the gun had been seized by the police um, a, a year ago uh, from, the, from the FedEx shooter, once the gun had been seized by the police, um, he basically said, hey, I don't want the gun back anyway. It, it's not even clear whether the prosecutor is going to held a hearing since he was no longer a gun owner. Uh, but anyways, the prosecutor determined that the main thing, uh, the main focus of the law is to get the gun away from the dangerous person. They had done that. Because of that, uh, it, the, the prosecutor, the police, uh, everyone considered the case closed. The catch is that there had never been a court hearing, uh, and because there was no court hearing, the FedEx shooter was never found to be officially a danger to himself or others, and therefore there was never that record placed into the uh, background check system that uh, gun dealers are supposed to check when they sell a gun. So uh, the, the loophole here is that even though the family member thought he was dangerous, the police thought he was dangerous, the FBI thought he was dangerous, the prosecutor thought he was dangerous, because there had not been a court finding, he was allowed to buy other weapons. 
one of the things that I think Indiana should do is to say, let's uh, let's get that fine. You know, once the police and the family uh, uh, have, have gotten together and, and figured out that somebody's dangerous, put an immediately hold on that person's ability to get weapons. Uh, make it clear that the police can take any weapons the person has and make it clear that that person cannot buy any more weapons. If that had been done, uh, then uh, this incident might not have uh, developed the way it did. However, regardless of this law and the action taken to previously seize his guns, the shooter was still able to obtain these firearms legally. Helmke speculated the degree to which the shooting could have been prevented. It, it, it's always difficult to say that something could have been prevented, but I, I think in this situation, something more could have been done to make it harder for this to have happened. Uh, here's an individual whose mother identified him as dangerous over a year ago. And because she told the police about that, uh, they came in and took a shotgun away from him over a year ago. The FBI got involved over a year ago. The uh, Marion County prosecutor got involved over a year ago. Um, and uh, under Indiana's law, his shotgun was taken and apparently he didn't ask for it back. But because Indiana's law uh, only focuses on removing that gun, um, until there's a court order that says this person's dangerous, he had the right to go out and buy other guns. And so last summer, on two separate occasions, he bought uh, dangerous weapons, and then he used them last week. If we had had a law on the books that would have said that a dangerous person uh, that is identified as dangerous, that the police feel is dangerous, that the family feel is dangerous, that that person should be put on the uh, uh, prohibited purchaser list, and then uh, if the person uh, contests that they have a chance to get off the list, that procedure might have kept him from getting a gun. But because Indiana basically assumes that anybody should be allowed to buy any gun pretty much anytime and take it anywhere, unless there's been a clear finding that they're dangerous by a court, uh, we end up with these tragedies. On Monday, WFHB talked to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, who expressed the difficulty to create progress in gun legislation at his level of authority. Speaking from his own experience as mayor of Fort Wayne, Helmke said he sympathizes with mayors who do not have the ability to regulate gun policies in their cities. I, I'm very sympathetic to, to, to Mayor Hamilton. I was mayor of Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana for 12 years. And uh, one of the things that happened when I was mayor is the Indiana legislature decided uh, to tell cities and towns that they couldn't do anything about gun violence in their communities, couldn't pass any local ordinances. I think in Fort Wayne, we'd had an ordinance at the time uh, saying that you shouldn't be able to discharge your gun in the city parks. And uh, the state legislators, in their wisdom, decided that uh, they knew more about what's going on in local communities, and they preempted all cities uh, in, in, in towns in the state from doing anything uh, on their own against gun violence. Uh, the Bloomington, I know, faced this a couple of years ago when I think during a Fourth of July parade, somebody... Uh, uh, had loaded uh, AR-15s in, in, in their float and uh, waving them around at the, at the parade goers. Bloomington had no power to, um, uh, to stop that. Uh, uh, a year or so ago, when there were protesters at the farmer's market in Bloomington uh, bringing guns, the city couldn't do anything about that. So one of the things uh, that we ought to do is allow local elected officials, uh, give them the power to try to deal with gun violence. But in Indiana, they preempted it. So the Indiana legislature is the, is the group that's decided that they and they alone uh, can decide what kind of regulations we can have on gun violence. Of course, the U.S. Congress could, could do something too. Mm. Uh, but the U.S. Congress has done very little uh, to deal with gun violence. Uh, 
We really don't have many laws on the books at the national level or at the state level to make it harder for dangerous people to get dangerous weapons. However, the burden of this oversight will not be felt by the legislature, but instead falls heavily upon the Indianapolis community. The shooting, which occurred at a FedEx facility whose staff of 4,000 is made up of 90% Sikh Americans, has significantly impacted the Sikh community in Indianapolis and across the country. WFHB spoke with Ravlin Ahuja, president of the Sikh Student Association at Indiana University Bloomington, to hear her perspective on the tragic event. Ravlin described her position within the organization and the work the Sikh Student Association does at Indiana University. I'm president along with Taveen Saran, who is a sophomore. We're both co-presidents and co-founders. We founded the organization in 2019, so like two years ago. And, you know, IU has a pretty large Indian population. However, in America and in India, like Sikhs are a minority population. So, yeah, you know, we have Indian nationality, but being a Sikh and being from Punjab is like a whole other experience. Um, so we wanted to create, you know, a space for people like us. And also, you know, I think it's a little bit behind the game. You know, a lot of other schools, especially schools in California, or I'm from Ohio, like Ohio State has a Sikh Student Association. A lot of people do. It was time that we created one. Revlin expressed the distress felt both personally and with the Sikh community as a whole, saying, You know, when attacks like this happen on our community, we oftentimes have to spend time educating everyone on who we are. And it kind of takes away from the tragic events that happen because we constantly have to be like, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. And, you know, other major religions don't really have to go through that, which is great for them. But we hope that, you know, people who aren't a part of our group or faith can take time out and learn about us so that we can um, move forward and things like this don't happen again. This specific shooting has been an especially troubling event for the Sikh community as the shooters passed employment at the same FedEx facility and his history visiting white supremacist sites online raises questions of his motive. The shooter was a previous employee of the FedEx location. So, and he obviously knows that it's a primarily sick uh, location to be. And he knew what time he was going. He knew it was like a very populated time. Um, and he also like aimed specifically at sick employees and made a concerted, concerted effort to avoid non-sick non-six at various points. With the investigation still underway, the Sikh community is left to mourn this tragic loss. Revlin shared some information about upcoming memorial services for all of the victims. Just in the Bloomington community at least, SSA, this Sunday at 7 p.m. at Sample Gates is having a candlelight vigil. Uh, candles will be provided, masks are required, um, but we encourage you to come. I think, you know, we're going to commemorate all the victims and it's a really nice way to remember them. It may be too soon to say if the tragedy at the FedEx facility will serve as a turning point in Indiana state gun legislation, or if it will be just another addition to the growing list of mass shootings in the United States. Paul Helmke says he is hopeful for Indiana's future, that this tragedy may espouse change in the state's gun policies. I, I would hope that uh, this FedEx shooting would be a wake up call. Uh, for our legislators and for the people in the state to realize how weak our gun laws are. 
You know, nobody's trying to take everybody's guns away, but uh, we should all agree that we don't want people with dangerous uh, tendencies, dangerous propensities, uh, people who have exhibited this dangerousness to be able to legally get a gun. Uh, that puts us all at risk. So hopefully this will be a wake-up call. And what it's going to take, though, are individuals across the state contacting their uh, state legislators, contacting their other local officials to have them lobby our state legislators to say, let's make our laws stronger. Let's focus, instead of focusing just on the gun that the dangerous person has, let's focus on keeping that dangerous person from being able to get other guns. Um, instead of assuming that everyone should be able to get any gun and take it anywhere at any time, let's let's make, you know, let's have true background check systems. Let's let's have a waiting period. Let's let's check somebody out. It's easier to get it, it's it's easier to get a gun than it is to get a job at a fast food restaurant. You know, they it, mm -hmm. we don't ask for reference checks or, or anything else. We just assume that anyone should have a gun, and uh, that's what puts us all at risk. WFHB would like to take a moment and honor the names of the victims of this tragic event as read by President of the Sixth Student Association, Ravlin Ayuja. Amarjeet Sekhon, who is 48. Um, we have Jasvinder Kaur, who is 50. Amarjeet Kaur Joho, who is 66. And she actually went to go pick up her check and died with her check in her hand, which is so tragic. Um, Jaswinder Singh, who is 68. Samaria Blackwell, who was 19 years old. Carly Smith, who was also 19. Matthew R. Alexander, who was 32. John Steve Weisart, who was 74. For WFHB News, I'm Max Campbell.